You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to the Flow Theory Podcast. Former Ohio football quarterback, Josh Phoebus, a quarterback out of Dublin Kaufman in Columbus, Ohio, threw for over 1,300 yards his senior year, rushed for over 800 yards as well. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show, my man. Oh, wait, man. That's a kind introduction. I uh, I appreciate being on here, and uh, it's good to catch up with you. Absolutely. Josh, one of the biggest things I ask all guys that come on the podcast is pot, one of the main themes of this podcast. It's all about flow and uh, being in the zone. So, you know, Mike Vick in his 30 for 30, he talks about the moment in a game at Virginia Tech when the players were running at full speed, but um, they were they were moving in slow motion for him visually. Were there any sort of moments like that for you during your football career, either at Ohio or Dublin Kaufman? Absolutely. I mean, a handful of experiences, I mean, at all levels and at all times. I mean, you just you know it because, like, from a quarterback perspective, you know, a lot of the things that you – think about that you consciously have to do you know they become reactionary as you do them enough but then to take it a step further when you're in the zone and you realize hey you're not even thinking you're just flawlessly doing and then you're doing it so smooth to where you get that momentum you get that to where you're comfortable and it's 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 almost like a cd that there's a lot of times where it might be skipping or hey it's it's rotating it's playing but is it as smooth as it can be? And, and, and being in the zone and the ability to dial that in where, hey, there's a post route. I just see it and I, it's done. And you're going through your reads to where, you know, you're not even thinking about it. And then ultimately you're so focused in the sense that you don't have the tunnel vision, but it's so clear. And, and really that's what it comes down to is the clarity that, that Mike Dick talks about to where you're doing all the right things, you're trusting yourself. And I really think that plays a lot into it as well as the trust aspect of really just believing and letting the muscle memory do it for you and then just letting go. And then from there, you're in the zone. And you, when it shuts off, you never know what that signature moment's going to be. Maybe it's a hard hit. Maybe it's, you know, a blitz that didn't get picked up that you just, you juke left. And every other time in the zone, you juke left working for you but this time hey it's a game ender and you know you never know what starts it and what ends it but you can feel it when you're in it and there's no doubt about it can you can you describe for me uh certain moments for you where uh you felt like you were in the zone yeah i mean i i, I think of uh for instance like your junior year um in high school there was a you know a, a third down conversion uh that we needed it was late in the game to where uh, it was a trap we were a lengthy school uh, believe it or not, uh, at that point in time, in, in a belly trap, and it was a give. It wasn't even a read. And for some reason, they got penetration. It was a no-brainer to where you pulled it. And I pulled it, and I went around the left side. and I scampered for, I think, 70 yards, and it ended up being the game winner. Like I said, it was late late in the game. But that was just one of those things to where it just it wasn't reaction, um, and it wasn't really thought about. It was just something that intuitively came to me. And I did it, and uh, it paid off. But if you look at it as a film, as, as a lot of these things, when you watch the highlight films, you know, how'd that guy do that? And you think of Braxton Miller when he hit that spin move uh, against Virginia Tech in that game over. Oh, that, yeah, that, that was that, beautiful. That's a clear-cut example of someone that, hey, they're, they're obviously highly trained, they're highly athletic, and to be able to hit the circle button like that, that he obviously was, you know, feeling some type of way in <laughs> the, the, the zone. And, and that's how those plays, I think, really come together. Yeah, I agree. Phoebus, you were talking to me about the time you hit LaVon Brazil on a seam route in, uh, was it a spring, one of the spring practices, or was it a spring scrimmage? Talk to me about that moment. Yeah, so it, 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 I think it was actually summer seven on seven. And, if you look back at that time in OU, you know, the receiving core, uh, you had some staples there and, and you had some young stud talents that I don't think OU had really seen before. And I'm referring to Taylor Price, who I was going to be a third round draft pick, and then LeBron Brazil, who arguably had a better, you know, NFL career than Taylor did. And, oh, absolutely. You know, and with LeBron, you know, that was a zone to where, hey, 
the read, what took you there. So you did. It wasn't even that you were going through the processes or okay, check here, check here. To where even if you watch film, you can see people going through their cognitive, you know, evaluations. Where hey, how seamless and how fluid is it? And that's a sign of hey, they're just checked in and they're really not good at what they do. And we know with me that wasn't the latter. It wasn't the, really good at what you do, but it was the ability to see that. And then with Levon streaking down, you know, hey, to put it right there, it's one that, hey, it's a touch throw, but yet at the same time, that accuracy and to get that angle, it's just something that you have to be, uh, I guess, in the moment to do to where, hey, it's, it's a lot like my golf game. You know, that I wish I could just bottle that every time. And I think that's what you refer to when you talk about the zone. But with Brazil, and the talent that he had, I mean, it, it made it pretty easy. But that was one, you know, those summer seven-on-sevens were super competitive. I mean, they, that was that was where people showed their character. I mean, Lou Holtz used to say, you know, at the beginning of spring ball, he wouldn't post any rosters or whatnot. And this could be true or not, or just, you know, myth. But the way or, hey, he didn't post any depth charts, but he'd say starting, you know, offense to get out there. And normally he'd say, you know, 90-some percent of the time, the 11 that went out there, you know, they end up becoming, you know, successful form, much less the starters uh, for that year. Because people pretty much know a lot of times uh, when they look in the mirror, you can't lie to yourself. And, you know, where your rack is stacked, where your weaknesses are. And if you're if you're realistic with yourself, uh, which, you know, a lot of people are, they'll check you. Um, that's that's one of those things to where uh, with LeVon, you could see it right away. And you knew, hey, this kid keeps stepping up. Because uh, he was super young, and he, and he had worked. With, I think Star Jones was his high school quarterback, who ended up being a stud, and was definitely a good recruit. But I joked around, said LeBron, he's the fast twitch that we've seen. I mean, the only athletes that you really saw it out of were those that you know uh, really excelled, or those that were transfers in from the bigger schools. Yeah, dude, Levon Brazil. He was one of the most highly touted recruits. Uh, during the Frank Solich era at uh, Ohio, for sure. I remember when Coach Mason landed him out of Florida. I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. And I remember watching his tape. I mean, some guys, when they just jump out at, they jump out at you on tape. And LaVon was one of those guys, man. And he was he was a great player in the pros. He, he kind of had some issues towards you know, the end of his career, but God damn, that guy was really good. And I mean, he set a lot of Ohio records and uh, not surprising, man. He was something else. Yeah, I, he was. He was. And right on cue, you know, another talented guy that, you know, he ran at 4 2 at Ohio State's camp and, and, and was really unheralded, you know, in a sense because he played at a wing T school in Hilliard Darby, but Taylor Price. I mean, I remember the shoe, you know, and what I, I forget what year, 7 07 or 08 when we played him real close. People don't realize the turnovers in that game. We turned the ball over five times their one. Uh, yeah, they were out without beating Wells, and you had a young PP and a, and, a, and a Beckman, and they would go on to get smoked by USC the next week. Yeah, they did get smoked. Bad, bad. I mean, they just didn't know what hit them. But you, you look at uh, Taylor Price, obviously, unfortunately, Theo, uh, you know, went down. Theo Scott went down with a collarbone injury when Lawrence Wilson just suplexed him. But it was one of those things to where all day, all day, and anyone can go back and look at the film, Taylor Price made easy work of Malcolm Jenkins, who really wanted to get physical and obviously would play him, you know, a day, over a decade in the league and, and as a safety with that physicality, but an All-American corner. And you watch Taylor stack on top all day. It's where Boo actually came in, Boo Jackson. He might have missed a couple of throws, if I recall, but I mean, not, neither here nor there, other than that Taylor Price absolutely really had the upper hand and that's when I realized because I had a front row seat like I mentioned uh you know to all this talent and and, and I had a passion for it I mean I've been buying Street and Smith magazine since I was little it was never my goal to go to the NFL it just was always my goal to play division one football and you know I took that in talent evaluation very seriously and seeing the eclectic group of all you know walks of life of all the high school careers of all recruiting levels come into Ohio University at that point in time as Frank Solch's first recruiting class. It was just funny to see because a little bit, you know, as, as time went on, I felt like the, the catcher off of Bull Durham, you know, the guy that just never got called up from AAA, but he'd always see the young cats come in, throw with them, you know, get to know them uh, and different things. And just that locker room, it's just, uh, you know, I was a strong personality. There's no secret there, but uh, to see that play out and Taylor Price and LeVon Brazil and, 
you know, Riley Dunlop was another one. And then you had, um, uh, Bakari Bussey, you know, who had came from a strong pedigree. Really, you just saw it little by little. The guys got a little bit taller. They got a little bit faster. They had a little bit better of a build. It wasn't so much of a project to where you started to see what Coach Solich was doing uh, and to see the caliber change. And that doesn't mean that you didn't have sleepers. I mean, Calvin McRae was on the show. Obviously, one of the best college running backs out of the eye to see that magic up close when, you know, the, his patience and the way he could hit it. Because he wasn't the most physical back, and that's not a secret, and that's not knocking Calvin. But the vision and the fluidity in which he flowed through the hole and knew when to hit it, I mean, I would put some of his film up with maybe some of the better running backs that Frank Coach Solich had at Nebraska. And you I, know, it, I it's, it's funny yeah. that you mentioned that, uh, Phoebus, because Calvin actually talked about that in the uh, podcast, how Coach Solich mentioned that Calvin was as good as a lot of the running backs that he had at Nebraska. And Calvin said how that was such a big confidence boost for him. So it's very funny that you said the exact same statement. You, you can see it. I mean, you know, we mentioned off the off air, you know, growing up watching Dick Red, and like I said, the passion that I had, you know, Nebraska power, Nebraska football. When I signed with Coach Solich, we were an I program. You know, we were we were running that speed option, you know, where the fullback led out front. It wasn't a midline. It wasn't a triple. It was, you know, a true Nebraska speed option. And a lot of the same plays to where, you could see it, and and I was no no nowhere near Tommy Frazier or Eric Crowder, <laughs> even even a, even a Scott Frost. But you know the grit that Nebraska represented. The, you know, I, and Coach Solich actually, when I went on my visit there, you know, the one thing he liked about me was my demeanor. That might have changed. I'm sure Coach Solich would tell you that. But uh, my my serious demeanor and, the, and aggressiveness, and I love that. You know, and I think the one thing about that is we realized you couldn't line up against BCS schools, which was BCS time. And really, when it came to a recruiting level, uh, the, the recruits, they paid attention to those big non-conference games. You just, linemen and, 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 and bodies in general, you know, no one raises their hand. It's just not a mentality to raise their hand and say, I want to be an offensive lineman. I want to be a defensive lineman. Now, they're more prone to be defensive linemen. But, you know, to say, hey, with the spread system, with just society in general, the, the offensive line position is one to where you don't have those those abundancy of just nose uh, to the grindstone, you know, uh, power wreckers that you had at Nebraska. No crap, I got it, Nebraska versus OU. But you know, even to pick out of the Youngstown crowd, the, the Western PA crowd, you really the Rust Belt crowd. You would think that you still had it. And by no means, you know, at OU did we establish a pipeline to where we were in Nebraska off the offensive line, but. I think that was a lot of the thought process of when Coach Schultz came is that everyone was going so much to the spread to where, hey, you know, the opposite of that was lining up under center, going eye formation, and just making you stop me every single time, you know, with grit, strength, and determination. And I think ultimately it came real quick that, hey, you might have been beat at birth in a lot of those uh, those BCS non-conference games, even though we played them tough. I mean, the only non-conference game I can uh, remember getting blown out was against Miami and Chase Daniels. Other than that, I mean, <laughs> Missouri, yeah. You know, other than that, I think we pretty much played everyone close. Now, Southern Miss, I wouldn't necessarily call that. You know, they weren't a Power Five, but you know, they they, they got off on us down the stretch. But they, they, if you really they got us, they got us with that exact same play that Central Michigan burned us on. You remember they ran a they ran a post across the middle and they got. They got Michael Graham in the same matchup. They saw that on film, and he he had gotten beat in the MAC championship game on that same play, and and they saw that. And you know, football it's like uh it's like a battlefield, you know. And then on on tape, man, those coaches knew what they were doing. Man, they got that same matchup, and they got him. That was a big play in that Southern Miss game, man. It was, and, and Damian Fletcher went on to. I think that's. The, recall the back thing and he went on to have a you know all-time leading rusher i believe at, at southern miss there for he might still be but you know see him and then see yeah exactly right i, I forget was it sneed or something the running back up at uh, central you know it's a, it's a matchup game and i think that's the maturation that, that you see obviously you hear so much called out as just the personnel and the chess pieces to where the, how do you flush that down because obviously it falls off the plate where that might play out more in the high-end game but to get those true consistent matchups where Yes, at Clemson, I pretty much know, you know, for a lot of their starting 11, 
what I'm going to get in that level of play and that consistency of play. But in the MAC, I mean, you run into the wrong guy at the wrong week, and he'll look like a completely different player on film besides, you know, some of the more consistent players. And I think that's one where the matchup game in the MAC didn't play out like some of the conversations I've had with others, uh, you know, like Mitchell and the league and such. Talk to me about uh, your recruiting process, Bebus, and how exactly you ended up at Ohio. Yeah, so I, Dublin Coffin was a school. I at that point in time, back in 2005, is when I graduated from high school. So if you think about it, the spread was relatively newer, true shotgun zone read terms that are just you know common household terms that any average Joe just can throw around at beat ups, you know. We were running that at Dublin Coffin back then, and a guy before, you know, two two years before me was a name Brady Quinn, and he was still under center. And that cat was, you know, obviously went on to Notre Dame and really had, you know, a solid career and a top notch talent first round draft pick. But that year after, there was a guy by the name of Jack Rafferty. Oh God, Jack Rafferty was so good, dude! I remember watching that guy's highlights. He was ridiculous. And really, he was. I mean, he. I, I joke around. I call Austin Everson. I call him the Tim Tebow of the Mac before there was a Tim Tebow. And I call Jack Rafferty, and that spread back in 03, 04. I call him the, 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 the poor man's Johnny Manziel because what Johnny won a Heisman Trophy off of is exactly what Jack Rafferty did. And, and I remember going to a playoff game because um, I was at a different high school at the time. That, like I said, ran the wing team. We averaged two throws a game. And, um, you know, I'd gone to, gone to camps. Uh, I remember going down to NC State and, you know, I room with Joe Cox who started at Georgia. He lived in like the same quad or what. Oh yeah. I remember him. He was an elite 11 QB coming out of high school. Yeah. He went to, he went to independence, the same high school he as did. Chris Leak. He was right behind Chris Leak and who his roommate was like within that same corridor was Muhammad Massacloth. Oh yeah. And he went to Georgia and they were independent to where Joe was this redhead, but he, I mean, you could tell he was super polished. He had all the skills that you needed. Obviously, he was a grinder and found a way to get, you know, playing time at Georgia. But, uh, you know, he was there. Jonathan Crompton came in. And Crompton, he wasn't – he he came in and he was much more of a, uh, you know, one-day guy. And It's funny. I mentioned Brady Quinn. And one of the, the pieces of advice that he always gave me going to camp, look, you know, don't overstay your welcome. It's an evaluation at the end of the day, and you can go there and you can wear a halo and have the honeymoon effect. But the longer you stay, the more and more they're going to find, try and find things that are wrong with you. So there's a strategy when we talk about the recruiting process. I'll get back on topic, but you know, to where when you go to these camps, before I I got recruited by OU, that was when they were going for coaching change. There was Brian Norris. And at that point in time, they were going from triple option like he ran at Air Force and Jim Grove ran before him to, you know, West Coast under Steve Early. And Steve Early, you know, wanted a guy that was taller than me. He, you know, he ended up uh, going, you know, getting a commit that ended up at, uh, I think, not Austin, but Tennessee Martin, who we ironically played down the road. But, uh, you know, to where they didn't want anything to do with me. And Pete Germano was uh, the recruiting coordinator for that staff. And, you know, I thought things were done with OU, you know, and, and there's a name out there that, is legend within the OU Athens community, and it's Jason Grooms. And Jason Grooms at that time, a little unknown fun fact, was uh, I think the linebackers coach down at a private school, Elon, yeah, which was one double A. And Jason Grooms and and uh, the receiver coach who, who left at the point in time was recruiting me down at Elon. And I get this random call. I have a great visit. I have this random call from OU, and I knew that they had gone through a coaching change, and it, it was Jerry Godowski. And Jerry Godowski was the quarterback coach. And he said, hey, Josh, we took a look at the film. We like what we see. And, you know, going back to, you know, the backstory on the high school program, we ran some options. I, I ran for 800 yards. That includes getting sacked, you know, a number of times. <laughs> and, and over 55 drop balls because my senior year, the cupboard was pretty dry. And little did I know, I had moved into that to where I didn't have a junior year of, of film because I was still at a wing two school. And at Dublin Coffin. You know, I had one year, but most folks are, you know, uh, are committed at the quarterback position. And so I think a little bit of the turnover at OU and, and, and the fact that, you know, the film that I had where the only other schools that, you know, really were there were, you know, uh, Cincinnati, who at that point in time had a quarterback coach, Danny Enos, 
uh, you know, and he was really interested. And, you know, Tim Hinton called me and, hey, Josh, offers in the mail, da 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 And no, there wasn't. And Coach Enos came, and they had a commitment pretty quick and Craig Carey, and that went about that way. So Cincinnati fell off very fast, um, even though I love Coach D'Antonio and, and loved uh, Coach Enos. And, you know, they came to Vandalia Butler to watch. And then you had, you know, random smattering of Toledo and, and, and Bowling Green and the academies. Uh, and it was always my dream uh, with my dad being a career uh, army officer, both active and reserve, you know, to, you know, look at the academies. I had been up there before and to get an appointment to West Point. Uh, and then, you know, when Brian Nor ironically got fired, he went out to um, Air Force. And at that point in time, Steve Reagan, their line coach, was recruiting pretty hard. Fisher DeBerry actually came to my house for breakfast. So really it came down to OU and the academies. And with Air Force Academy, they weren't even recruiting me as a quarterback. I, I think it was more of the rover, safety, linebacker, come in, you're a smart guy, um, you know, with some, you know, fundamental physicality, uh, baseline physicality that we can mold into. And then, you know, you're not going to fail out of the Air Force Academy. So, right. so both both of those. And then up at Army, it was Bobby Ross was starting. And Kevin Ross was his OC, his son. And, Bobby Ross was doing the whole thing, bringing that pro style system. And, uh, you know, they had just got Kenzie center built, which I think was 52 million. It was the founder of AOL was a West pointer. And he had, uh, built this and the sports performance aspect to where this is back in 05. They had it to where like you would have to, you know, chop your feet on a mat, and keep, you know, a certain level of, of chops. And they'd have, you know, you've seen a little bit more nowadays, but you know, uh, lights with flash on the board and numbers and, get a QRPM and heart rate and they were on that you know way before and then the coolest thing is they had like this little um, this little dome to where you know they would have the scout team wear body cams and you know from your position say you're a Mike linebacker scout teamers would run that position or run that play rather sorry and you'd have that mic that camera from their purview seeing that you know the natural angles that would create and just another way to get mental reps and that was super impressive to me. And, you know, it was funny because there was a, a blizzard during that time. And, you know, at OU, uh, you don't really, uh, you don't, or not OU, at West Point, you don't really get the opportunity to have, you know, much freedom on these college trips because you're already busy, but much less West Point where it's one of the most secure areas. So during that blizzard, they canceled recruiting activities. I think we got six inches of snow. And, you know, the night before, you know, Steve Tovar, who was a Buckeye great, he was the linebackers coach and actually recruiting me. He picks me up. Um, and I just got into, you know, an argument with my dad, which was, you know, at that point in time, not out of the norm to be an 18 year old know-it-all. And he's like, they're going to get you squared away up there. If you keep this up, buddy, drop me off at the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see you in three weeks or three days. I fly up there. Tovar picks me up. We go to the Palisades mall. All you can play is Dave and Buster's game card that night. And then I went, I went back and, we were staying at the Thayer Hotel. Well, one cool thing on your West Point visits is your host is a cadet, obviously, and mine was Thibodeau. He was, he was he ended up being a starting quarterback there and just a classy guy. All that rubbed off on me into where they, you stay in the barracks one night, so you you know you get a taste for the for the real reality of what you're you're, you're thinking about barking into. And he, he gives up his bed to show the selflessness of a leader. And I just think that, you know, in this day and age, that's something, I don't know if they still do it, but that stuck with me of just, you know, what the military is all about and what it would, what it would, you know, prove to be and that the class that comes out of there and just the program. So, you know, there's a lot of stories there, but, you know, it's where they freed up the activities one night and they were having a 500th ball, which is a 500 days until the juniors graduate. And, uh, you know, ultimately, um, we were throwing snowballs and, and, you know, long story short, we get, we hit somebody wrong person with the snowball and, and, <laughs> you know, we, we get into a little scuffle and whatnot. Well, fast forward the story. I'm in Afghanistan in a chow hall in Eastern Afghanistan. And I worked for three ground force commanders on the Ranger side and they were all 07 graduates. And they, you know, it's a small, small, small world, uh, and there and an even smaller world out of the alumni pool in your same class. I told him the story and he goes, no shit, that was you. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I had heard about that story, you know, and I did. It's funny that you put one and two together, but, um, so it really came down to OU and the academies and, and, and to go to OU, it really came down to Frank Solich 
Um, you know, yeah, people can say, hey, it's the biggest offer you had. Well, arguably, you know, the, the academies are, you know, right there, if not more, and, and especially where I was at in life. But it came down to Frank Solich and just the way that my, the way that Nebraska sat in my head to say, hey, I had this opportunity to go play in the MAC conference, stay close to home. Um, you know, there was a lot of output from the MAC at that time. And then with Coach Solich, just his mentality to say, hey, look, this is what we do. This is the process that we do it. You know, we can, we're going to develop you. And it was just, I felt like a good fit for that system. Now, they had signed Brandon Jones, who's a three-star guy, and, and, and had some offers. You know, I, I didn't really care because at that point in time, hey, I want to go be a part of a winning program. And, you know, I had already been had offers as a linebacker and different things. And, you know, hey, I want to go here. I want to develop. I want to play all my heart out. And, you know, I think I I, I could have given, you know, been a good uh, fit. And, and really that paired with, look, you're only a kid once. OU Athens, Ohio University, that's the college definition. You look under Webster and it's very difficult college definition. It's hard to beat a place like Athens. And I said, this is the only time in my life that I can come down here and behave like this where it's socially acceptable. And that that paired with Frank Solich is the reason that I jumped OU over, you know, the academies over Elon and over some of the other interests that I had. That's awesome, man. Uh, talking about Frank Solich, man, trademark wins uh, in Athens when we were there. Let's talk about the Ohio Pitt game. Absolute classic. Tyler Palco, Mr. Pick Six himself. He threw not one, but two pick sixes, three interceptions in one game. Like, literally, that might be the worst quarterbacking performance I've ever seen in my life, Phoebus. It was. It, I mean, it really was. And, and I, I mentioned, uh, you know, Brady and such. I was actually up in South Bend to watch Palco versus Notre Dame like the year prior, in which Palco and, and Pitt pulled it off. And, that's where he had to slip up in profanity in the post game. And, you know, so you already got a look and feel for what Tyler Palco was all about. And he was very outspoken. And, and to tell you the truth, when Pitt came in into Pete Stadium, there was absolutely zero respect. They had no interest in being there. They wanted to reprove themselves because they just got slaughtered again by Notre Dame that following year, that, that, that year of the game prior to when we faced them in, in, in Athens. And, you know, the respect and, and the way that they really came in and had no no appetite to even think that we were a threat. You know, that, that was my first game, and I was redshirting that year. And, uh, you know, the stadium and the fans, it filled up so fast. You had the power sticks. You had, I mean, yeah, the, the thunder sticks. Yeah. yeah, the thunder sticks. It was filled up so fast. And then ESPN2, and that was when you had Aaron Andrews on the sideline. You had different things to where it was like, man, this is big time. This is awesome. <laughs> and I, I don't think that you, you know, you're talking about 24,000, but when you're in that type of venue, tucked along that river, I mean, it had the crowd and, and, and being brand new. I'm like, this is life, man. This is good. And then to come out and watch, you know, Dion Byron was someone I always respect because obviously I was a scouting quarterback then. And, you know, Dion had gone through some injuries, but he was a sneaky, freaky athlete. And you had a handful of those guys lingering around our roster. And, and a lot of some of them would come to fruition and be names that you're familiar with now. But, you know, Palco coming in there, uh, like I said, Daryl Revis, you know, to see him three feet away, you know, sized up and just to see the size and the power. And for us to come out, you know, Austin Everson grit his way through. Calvin McRae, you know, really just coming into his own for that season and setting the tone. And really just, you know, finding a way to keep it close. So they return that opening kick. and. You know, you thought it was going to kill the momentum, and then we come right back and, and, and battle back into the game, and it lingers on. And just like any underdog, you let them stay around uh, long enough, they'll, they'll start to convince themselves they belong. And I think, you know, that paired with the, the incredible fan support that night and the fact that, look, Frank Solich was our – he was our guy. You know, hey, I work for – I'm Coach Solich's guy. You know, I'm Coach Solich. You know, he was two years removed off the national title in Nebraska where – it could be just stolen identity, but you, you felt some of that to where it definitely played off on you and it played off on those guys. And, you know, many of those folks that were out there, they were Brian Orr recruits. And, you know, I think they saw the opportunity to say, Hey, this, this is a, a great opportunity to go out here and, and play against, you know, I think it was the top 25 team. And, yeah. They were, know, they were 25th in the country. Uh, so hats off to them to where all of a sudden the way it ended with Dion Byram, not one pick six, but like, that too to end it with the walk-off 
and, and, and overtime to where I, I know the story that Calvin shared about, you know, the words that he had with Tyler Palco, but really that was just letting, you know, letting it out where, hey, you found a way to win and found a way to win against, you know, arguably superior talent in an environment that was just, and in my opinion, unprecedented. I never saw it again at Peden. And that carried over into the end of the town that night. And, you know, there was uh, couches burned. There was fire, you know, firefighters that had uh, beer bottles thrown at them. Not that I condone that, but it was just, it was a wild atmosphere. I'll never forget walking up, uh, you know, uh, I think Union, you know, up from West Green and, and just the, 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 electric and thinking, man, what can we do here? You know, and it just piqued the interest and it started, you know, I guess the shift. And that was the big win that I think Coach Solich needed and that we needed desperately just to, I guess, put a little bit of a stamp on, on what we were trying to do there. You know, it's funny. Calvin told me a story about how Dion, Dion came up to Calvin in practice in, uh, before that game. He's like, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, Something about how many steps like Palco dropped. He's like, if he throws it, if he throws a three step, I'm jumping it, you know? So basically like Dion knew what he's going to do and and he did it <laughs> both times when he got the picks. So it's pretty funny that, that Dion, Dion basically called that that week in practice. And Calvin was just kind of laughing it off that week in practice. He's like, all right, Dion, you know, whatever, man, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was thinking Dion's crazy, you know, but Dion knew what he's doing, man. That's, uh, that's one of the all time, uh, historic Ohio Bobcat performances. No question about that. And those fireworks, those fireworks that went off after yeah. that game. And yeah. not only that, like me storming the field from the end zone. It's one of the few games where I remember the student body clearing the end zone they were running onto the field before Dion even scored. You know what I mean? They that end zone completely cleared before before Dion had officially scored. I mean, it was absolutely wild. Not only that, my cell phone, I wasn't getting cell phone service at all that night. It was like the world just stopped in Athens, Ohio. It was something else, man. I know that all the Ohio U students uh, and players will Never forget that moment, dude. I remember hanging around the players after that game, and this was before I actually worked with the team a little bit. I just remember, like, being a big college football fan, it was just so cool getting to hang around all the guys. Like, you guys built, like, a big tunnel on the field, and, like, all the players were giving all the students high fives. I was just like, man, this is heaven. It, it was. It was It was cool. And it was Stacey Del Simmons was the, the, was the sideline reporter. Uh, not Aaron uh, Andrews, who's the MAC championship, I think later that year. But to your point, that fireworks and when it went off and just the dog piles. And it was funny from my perspective because I'm sitting there feeling like a schmuck. You know, you're, you're in jeans and, and food clear and, and a jersey. And I'm like, man, I feel like a, you know, a high school Friday night, you know, or like a high, not a Friday night, but a high school school day before the, 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 the uniform I'm in. So I remember I had to throw Pat and go. And little people know is that, look, you're redshirting. Like, I went to the convocation and won 14 games of beer pong in a row uh, <laughs> before, that, before that came. Because uh, there was a couple of Kaufman kids that lived in the combo. And I remember coming in, the whole spray with cologne, you know, chew gum, you know, all this. And I had citrus bubble gum. And people were like, dude, I can smell alcohol out of you, like, you know, at a 10-foot radius. And I remember Coach G, he just, I think he knew. I, but he's like, I had to come out and throw Pat and go. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I don't even want to be in this jersey. Like, and, and, and that was embarrassing because to me, I had enough pride to where it's like, Hey, you're red shirting. What's that? Mean? You know, that's something you got to get used to. Uh, and then from there, you know, what, what, yeah, you prepare them in practice, but you didn't play a snap. So don't go around beating your chest out. You got a lot of work to do. And I think that was something that overcame me. You know, honestly, I was, I was drunk, so I, that's part of the reason why I put myself in that position. You know, to never really take take hold. You know, I was just a super immature guy. But you know, that was one of those things to where you know, Coach Solich and always believed in a strong walk on program. And you know, those walk ons would come in and they'd be so hungry, and I'm sitting there, you know, feeling down on myself uh, because look, you're not, you didn't play, 
and this huge game happened. It's awesome, but it wasn't huge. So from then, it was like, hey, what do you got to do? And what's this redshirt year really mean to you? And, and you know, getting in the playbook, getting in the weight room. You know, I was always big into the weight room, but just that next step where there's nothing like your first year of Division One football, no matter what, you know, Power 5 or not, to where you get in that weight room and you're around. It's a different mentality than high school ball. You know, those are, those are you know, even though they're young, 18 to 22, and I know the steps is NFL up until it's even greater, but, you know, just the mentality to where you're dealing, you know, you see a Shane Yates or Atlanta Cohen or, you know, some of these guys to where, like, look, being 22, 23, that's a lot different than being 17 and a half, being 18. And, you know, that, that age to where, you, yeah, you might have the body of someone different, but the mentality inside, that's the biggest, some of the biggest shifts that happen to where, a, A, are the lights too bright? And then B, do you have the ability to, to adjust and level up? And then do you have the opportunity to, to grow? You know, where are you at in your development pattern? Where they talk about it in NFL, you know, hey, you might only get three snaps. You might not even get the opportunity to show what you got going on. You know, and, and they might have to make a decision just because it's a business. In college, you might only get, you know, a series here and a series there to where what are meaningful reps. Yeah, you could get a lot of series, you know, with the third string with the scout team. And I always told those guys in the, in, the, in the huddle down there, like, don't act like you're not under constant evaluation. Don't act like you're just going to be grandfathered to the next step. Don't act like because you can come out here and perform to a certain level that you still don't have to prove yourself and have and, and, and capitalize when you do get that opportunity. So that was, you know, out of the pit game, you know, when I'm, that sobering moment was obviously based on the story I shared. I just, I needed, um, you know, from there it was like, okay, Hey, I want this to happen again. And next time I want to be a part of it. Now that never happened, but that was definitely the thought, you know, after that game with how cool it was, but I'll, I'll never forget guys that, you know, were in the same street clothes and wearing issued gear, you know, just telling stories of their lifetime, you know, because at that point in time, everyone had, you know, might as well have been Dion Byron with the way they talked when they got up to court side, you know, and that's, that's, that's for all you OU folks who get a kick out of that. But that was something that, you know, seeing folks and how they reacted to it and who wanted to take credit for it. But really, you know, I always remember Calvin jumping up on the pile, which, uh, you know, our big rivalry at Coffin with Tillier Davidson, you know, uh, Calvin's been a coach for some time and, you know, that same hard nosed mentality there. You know, and that same attitude there to where, you know, a lot of times they're, they're, they're star running back, you know, we're the same number and he'll jump up on the pile. Uh, every time I see that at cough and it just takes me back to, to that day in, in Athens, you know, to where Calvin jumped up and little did we know, you know, I don't think we were even convinced of it. But with Dion Byram, I know I'm jumping around there, but the guy went on to play in the NFL. He went on to get active roster snaps and even a couple starts where Dion Byram was – to me, I don't want to call him a victim of his environment because he went on to be an All-American that year, but to where he, like I said, dealt with injuries, but people slept on Dion. Cat had over a 40-inch uh, vertical. I mean, he had the physical skills, and he was smart. He was savvy, and he was very mature. At that point in time, he was over, and you see it happen to guys. It happened to me. It happened where you're there long enough. The novelty wears off, and maybe that, you know, people get mad at me saying that, but to where Look, the novelty and the newness had worn off. That guy was a wily vet. He's every bit of the definition. Absolutely. So, so many people come and go out of that locker room, which at OU was just a revolving door. I mean, being in a MAC, the attrition level there, you have, and, and with the large walk on program, you just see so many bodies come and go. And, you know, Wayne Horsley is a, a legend. Uh, I can call him that now, but he, you know, he was, a, he was a great example of seeing people come and go. I mean, I was number seven. He gave me number 17, um, you know, originally when I showed up. I actually had, like, three numbers. I was 11, I was 14, I was 12. I, I mean, I was all over the place. Where I didn't even know, because at the end of the day, my locker room, my locker number was 101. <laughs> and and it was all over my sweats. And there's nothing more demoralizing than walking around OU campus, you know, as a scholarship guy, for whatever that's worth, with 101 on your sweats. Whatever <laughs> you, you know, to where it was, it was definitely... Uh, identifiable so I didn't wear any of my hair and, and a lot of that's what we lived in they I mean I think the funny part is I took it home and I, I took an iron to it and I tried to melt the numbers off and I tried to sew a patch over it I'm like man I'm not gonna have it but Wayne was I mean your locker number that was in what was on your you know normally it was a jersey number but you know 
85 or 99 and above, you know, the duplicates, you know, with the 100 numbers, that was your cubby number. And that was legendary to where Wayne had a, a half door and it's still there. Matt Morton was just an assistant at the time. He's the current equipment director. And Wayne, like a lot of these equipment guys, he acted like it was his stuff. And the joke was you thought you went D1 because we had an Adidas contract. The contract wasn't a contract at all. So I show up and you get these cotton shorts that don't have a logo on them. You get Adidas shirts that had, you know were gray in the front because they didn't put the logo on them and just an Adidas sign in the back. They put 101 just to kick you in the teeth. Your socks are always wet, you know, and your cleats, they're, they're detachables. I mean, it was a running joke when I took those home. And I remember landing like, you got to earn it. You got to earn it. And I'm thinking in my head, I thought this was just going to be, you know, Division One football, you know, but it was gritty. And it was early. And like, for instance, we wore, uh, they had uh, palm guards for the gloves back then and cutters were the rage. But, you know, that year, everyone in the years before, everyone got palm guards and they, they joked around because Master P's name was P. Miller and they called them the P. Millers. And it was like, man, it was like a chicken beef. You know, you have this Adidas contract, and you're running around with, you know, Percy Miller's on. And the next year, you know, occasionally folks would get Adidas gloves and stuff like that, or they'd get cutter gloves. And it evolved pretty quick. We signed a deal with Russell that was, you know, Auburn's old deal and such. And, and it, but still, then it's Russell, and your numbers aren't even tackled well. They're, they're ironed on. And just those are the, some of the things where they're first world problems. But when you thought you went D1, you know, where, hey, it is a little bit. And then Wayne was just a, a funny character because, like I said, I tried to melt it. I tried to sew, sew on a patch. Well, I went to, at that point in time, I think it might have still been Galleons or Dick's Sporting Goods up in, up in Dublin off the of sawmill there. And I bought a, my mom bought me a pair of Adidas shorts that were mesh <laughs> and, you know, a couple of skirts and such like that. And Mike Mitchell came in my recruiting class as well. And, you know, Wayne said, had a policy, no personal items on your laundry booth. Well, I'm like, man, I'm not wearing this. Like, I'm not asking you guys to do much for me, but these are junk, man. You know, and these cleats, they're going to hurt my feet. Like, come on. And, you know, I put my personal loop on. Well, back then you had, so I was the first one of the first classes where you could come in for summer school and start your scholarship, you know, at that point in time. Juco guys and prep school guys would come in the spring. But to be out of high school, I was like one of the first or five guys. It was like Chris Garrett, myself, Brandon Jones. Uh, I want to say Jason White. And one other person, Lenny, who, um, we came in early and I was living in Bromley at the time. And, uh, you know, it was 30 of us in Bromley and, you know, I, I came back and, and, and did my summer school and I didn't even go to class. I mean, I gotta be honest with you, uh, wait, it's just, I didn't even go to class. And I think I finished with like a C minus and a D and I hadn't seen coach Alvin, my office coordinator since maybe I signed and I'd seen him here and there. And then Jason Kelly was our academic advisor at the time. He calls me in, hey, Josh, da 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 da. You know, and, and Coach Alvin absolutely tore into me because of my grades. Well, I say all that to say it was a rough summer for me. It was one of adjustment. It was one that got me redshirted. It was one that led to a lot of different things, but uh, where, I, you know, ultimately I was just a knucklehead. And with the shorts, I was like, this is one thing I can control. So I, I wore those shorts down the stretch. You come back and you report for fall camp. We got like a couple weeks off. I come back. And I said, hey, uh, Wayne, where's my shorts at? And he goes, actually, Josh, they fit quite nicely. And I look down and this guy's got my shorts on. He's got my, he's got my Adidas shorts on. And, and I laughed at him, you know, and I was pissed. And at that point, I had no leverage. I had no clout. And he knew it. And, you know. <laughs> And it, it was just funny like that. So I ended up with, the, like I said, the duplicate number seven, uh, locker number 101. And from there, it was, okay, time to get to work. And, you know, I got in the weight room. I put on good weight, got a lot stronger. But for me, it wasn't necessarily strength or size, you know, as much as it was speed and explosiveness and just the, the, the twitch muscles that had to, to be a quarterback in that system. You know, you had to have it to a certain level. So. I came out and, uh, you know, registered freshman year, um, you know, able to, you know, come out and have a good fall camp. And, and fortunately for me, you know, I played kickoff that year and I was the seventh man on kickoff. And, uh, you know, back then there were wedges and I keep saying back then, like I'm that old. Yeah. You know, they, they eliminated the wedges. 
and and I'll never forget we were at playing against Illinois. Well, that year we probably talked about the Northern Illinois game. We also played Rutgers. We played Missouri. We played you know Rutgers with Ray Rice fourteen and zero. We love it. You know that was that team. But I'll never forget uh, uh, against um, against Illinois. They yeah, Northern big, Northern Illinois or Illinois? No, Illinois. L- Illinois at okay. Illinois when we won. Yeah, Mark Parson had that team. pick. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but tell Mark Parson and if Mark, if you're listening. Got to catch it with your hands. That thing he double he double caught that thing, <laughs> and and Mark doesn't have any hands, and that's why he was a DB. But he'll never admit that. But you know that year though, I was seven, and Josh Abrams, who ended up being a special team just phenom, you know he was the guy next to me. He was the sixth man, and that was always a backup running back. And Ross Ells, who ended up being the defensive coordinator at Purdue and different places, he was a special teams coordinator. He said, "Look, kickoff team's all about heart." He's like, you can have speed, but if you can time up the kick and you and you and you have the guts to keep your nose into it, go get after it. So, yeah, Josh Abrams, man, I, I call it like a bad revolutionary war movie because I just watched him run to his death time and time again. He would make plays and stuff like that, but hitting that back wedge, I mean, just a, such a selfless sacrifice. And from there, you know, to be a couple other folks that would throw <laughs> their heads in there. And, and and that game in particular, they had a cross block on the on the back wedge. And you knew with Richard Mendenhall, hell, his, his arms were bigger than my legs. <laughs> yeah, and, Mendenhall <laughs> was a thick dude, man. Jesus. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm sitting there way thinking that I got to bring it. I said, I got to bring it. I got to bring it because he's full run, I'm full run. And that scene, they left me unblocked. So I'm thinking like, you know, you talk about being in the zone and the time that slowed down. That was a time that this is a great example of that that didn't come to mind because it was a bad zone. I, 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 Focused in on on Richard, I'm ready to just clean his clock. So I think, and all of a sudden, a big ten pullback comes from the fifty yards away and cleans me up. And I'm telling you, wait, I didn't take too many L's on this. I had good leverage. He put me five yards in the air, and, and I Brad Bauer was a transfer from Illinois. He was in tears laughing. Austin Everson was in tears laughing. I couldn't breathe. I was wheezing. I kept poking my ribs to think if they were fractures. Because I was wheezing, and the way the kicker was, it happened again. You think um, I would learn my lesson, but it was just like it was the temptation I couldn't, I couldn't ignore, and I ran through there, and, and he cleaned me up again, and that finished me up. And I think the next game, we had like a couple of games left in the year. Uh, the Kent State game, they 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 put Von Kerry Owens there, and because hey, I think Coach Solich, even though I had a handful of tackles, uh, I think that was hey, what are we doing here. <laughs> but oh, uh, no it was awesome that's an epic uh that's an epic memory dude i always love hearing about hard hits talk to me about the uh northern illinois game josh i know you mentioned that calvin talked about that game too that was definitely one of the classic ohio u wins uh definitely one of the biggest wins in ohio u football history because uh garrett wolf as i told you Led the nation in rushing yardage that year. Absolute stud. It was. I mean, you talk about being spoiled. I mean, with the first game in Athens, um, you know, the pit game, this was one of my first mat games on the road. And the cow was packed. I mean, the first two plays of the offense possession, those that were there and those that can remember, I mean, it's we, we were false starts because it was so loud in that place because there was such an excitement around Garrett Wolf and that Northern Illinois team. And that was, like I said, we, 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 we identified ourselves with Coach Solich and with that toughness. And it was, that was the first time when you could look around people's eyes that, hey, look, he'd been there a year. You know, a lot of the, the guys, the, the Tyler Russes, the Matt Munsons, the Calvins, the Austins, the, you know, uh, the folks there, you know, the Paul Johnsons, you know, the Matt Millers, they had been around, you know, and seen all, like I said, people come and go. That's just a constant theme in that locker room. To where this was the first time where it's like, hey, let's let's get ours. It's time to have a product where it's not a fluke, where it's not just a feel good. Where, hey, let's make a statement in the MAC, and there's no better place. And that's where you could tell, you know, because you don't travel, especially for a league game, that many folks. So it was a very intimate locker room, and that was where you looked around and you just saw people a look in their eye. You know, the Jameson Harkies, who was my age, you know, younger guys, Mike Mitchell, you know, different things. Uh, TJ Wright was a big inspiration that year. You know, the Landon Cohen, you just saw the switch in their eyes and then to go out. And, hey, it, it was a back and forth. And, and, you know, I remember with Mike Hinton, he was a transfer. 
And, you know, those that are familiar, I mean, he was a four or five star guy. I mean, Bobby Bowden, or I think it was Bobby Bowden, offered him as a wide receiver. I mean, this cat, NC State, Virginia Tech. I mean, he got caught up in some uh, extracurriculars, but a nice guy. I mean, came in and, and just overall was nothing but a classy individual and, and, you know, but a physical phenom. And they called him the Predator. And Oh, yeah, never- dude. That guy was just carved from granite. I remember watching him in uh, practice. He would always have the skull cap. And, like, looking at his body, dude, it was the most sculpted body I saw during my time at OU. He was just, like, a freaking statue, dude. He was built. Yeah, one is not like the others. And he saw Mike and I mean, it was like Terrell Owens in the locker room. I mean, just to see. <laughs> and even throwing with him. Like, I, I look, I, I'll i be the first one to brag about my arm, right, wrong, and different, where look, arm talent's never been the question. And, you know, you could challenge guys on routes and, hey, can they get there, get, you know, the speed where, you know, with Mike Hinton throwing routes with him, it was just a different level. You know, I, I remember when my when Taylor Price was, uh, it was the year he beat out, you know, Brandon Tate made that, I think the active roster had a hell of a preseason, uh, you know, that year for New England. And it was a seven-step hitch to where I was in gun. And by the time I got the snap, he was out of that cut to where that was the first time where, look, I've never been challenged on any routes where, you know, Mike Hinton had that same type of speed and twitch and the crazy part about that Northern Illinois game to stay on topic is just, look, Garrett Wolf bolted around the right side and Mike Kent were like, oh, this is it. This is where we show our stud. You know, <laughs> Garrett Wolf was out of there. And it was like everyone sort of looked around like, oh, man, what are we into? If they, he just did that to Mike Kent, you know, and, and that was one of those gut check moments where you just have two, I don't want to call us prize fighters by any means because there you are in DeKalb, but where it was two hungry programs that had nice talent that were just exchanging. And you look at Austin Everson's where he wasn't, no one would ever use the words prolific passer, you know, but he was there and he was gritty and he was a leader and he sat there and he in, you know, Will Norwood, Will Norwood, I, I will always say a big bodied, strong, 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 strong receiver, you know, that only had one year at OU where he caught a post over the middle to where I called it, you know, the Peyton Manning jizz ball. You know, to where, you know, it was a duck end over end. It had that paint man flop to it. But it, just came, <laughs> it came down. I mean, uh, Everson, I mean, I can go ahead and make jabs now. I played over him, but, you know, it looked like a Wakefield uh, knuckle, you know, and coming down into you know, <laughs> to take that thing and drop it the way it did. You knew, you knew we were on to something that day. So to come out and have that offensive breakout, you know, with Everson having a great game, you know, statistically speaking, and, you know, the team win, that was the first. You know, time I said I saw that killer, that killer instinct, you know, and the folks that say, hey, we have it. And then to go out there and do it in that environment, you know, to where, hey, we, we cut our teeth that day. And it definitely will go down and set the tone for the run to the MAC championship that year. Um, because it, you know, it didn't start out that hot, you know, all, all the way around where, you know, we needed that win as a program. We needed that win for that season. And, um, we got it. And then to have it over a Garrett Wolf competitor who at that point in time was, you know, one of the top backs in the country, uh, at that, at, at the back level, you know, that, that was awesome. So that was a game where I'll never forget, you know, coach Derek Mason, uh, just to see these guys, yeah, I could see their faces right now. And just, there was a sense of relief, you know, I, I, those guys that were there before, they weren't used to those types of victories, you know, and, and, and that fashion. And I, I could see to them like, Hey, this is why we stuck it out. This is why we cut our teeth. This is, you know, the Tyler Russes that were just mature elder statesmen, you know, that were savvy, you know, and I think if you look at the core group that were carried over from, uh, you know, Coach Nord to Coach Solich, it was just a savvy, mature group that had, you know, they were a very intelligent group uh, and they had high football IQ. And then, you know what, you know, like the Michael Grahams of the world, they found a way to get it done and they gave it everything that they had and then there were times where, hey, look, you're just beat at birth. And if someone could expose that, they did at times. But, you know, we did a good job keeping ourselves in the fight. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Talk to me about winning the uh, Akron game and uh, punching your ticket to the MAC championship. That was the first first time Ohio got to the MAC championship game since uh, 1968. Talk to me about that experience, Phoebus. Yeah, we knew, you know, we lost a tough game early on to Bowling Green, uh, and everything got knocked out. And it was, 
you know, from there, I didn't know which way we were going to go. And actually, uh, little people know, like I talked to Coach Solacek for that. I said, look, you got the same X's and O's and the same Jimmy's and Joe's. You know, I don't see where this is going to change. Uh, but the reality is, like that group that, you know, displayed leadership, it changed me from that team who was really just such an unheralded leader for that Akron game. You knew you had the opportunity to go and you're going up against what Luke Getsy and, and a nice Akron uh, offense. And, you know, at that point in time, we had great momentum. There was a great uh, vibe and feel to it. Um, and, you know, I think Everson sprained his ankle that night really bad. And that was, you know, made it again, not to make it about me, but that was a moment for me where I'm like, man, this is awesome. We're going to the next championship. You know, Austin Everson, you know, sprained his ankle. He was our leader. He was the heart, you know, and, and uh, of that offense. He's very good you know, at taking care of the football. He very he rarely turned over the football. He was very good at managing the game. He had to. And at that point in time, that was a big part of it. And that's where I definitely fell short and where I think there was an evolution as well. But we ran combos where, you know, they would send in three plays at a time. And you get this split look to where Coach Gadowski, that's why he's at where he's at right now, is, you know, as he's COC. You know, uh, Vandy, that, he would dial it up to where, look, Austin would have go to the line and have three plays based on the looks where they're bluffing their looks. And he would be right. And to tell you the truth, he got us in the majority of the right plays. And, you know, cerebral capacity that he had. And obviously, he was a very intelligent guy. He would go on, you know, in the, in the, in the very popular and acclaimed uh, Master of Sports Administration of Business. But, you know, the guy was just intelligent, football IQ, and to get us in the right place and have the maturity to do that. And people don't realize he held off Brad Bauer. You know, Brad Bauer came in from Illinois getting, you know, playing time very early on at Illinois and was a top five quarterback recruit. You know, so Brad Bauer came in and he could just never really step down on, you know, Austin's tenure. The Austin just grinded it out. And to see those two guys um, compete and just the maturity that they brought uh, to the game, I don't, I can't say it rubs off on me. I don't think they'll tell you it rubs off on me, but to see it, I definitely had some good examples of what right looked like uh, from, from a preparation standpoint and from just a, you know, a maturity standpoint. Talk to me about um, talk to me about the MAC championship game and uh, watching watching Dan Lefevre up close and uh, what a special player he was. I mean that team that team had Dan Lefevre, Brian Anderson, and Antonio Brown. You know, I I said in I think the last podcast with that Turner how uh, Brian Anderson's like the forgotten receiver of that group. I mean, everyone remembers Antonio Brown, but that receiving core with Antonio Brown and Brian Anderson was one of the best in college football and Mac history. And a lot of people really forget about Brian Anderson, but you know, we had such a great secondary that year and you know, great Nick Saban has always said, you cannot defend a perfect pass. And in that game, Dan LaFever just threw perfect pass after perfect pass. And there was nothing we could do about it. Yeah, I think that was, we talk about the physicality and I, you know, I, I off, the, off the air, we talked about just the evolution of the, the physicality. And I think that's a program under Brian Kelly that had recruited well. Um, and that's an understatement to where I'm not sure if AG was there that Mac championship game. I know he, cause he and JJ Watt, you know, to where Brian Anderson definitely tall, lengthy, nice receiver, you know, on what is it was an Ontario Sneed, the back out of the backfield, Dan LaFever to where the, you know, well, with the Akron game, we went through the Akron game. We won that great. Mac East, we know we're preparing it. The next week, we played Miami of Ohio. You know, I told you Austin hurt his ankle. Well, I'm back up. Brad starts. Brad goes in, has a, has a pretty good game. Well, little do we know, Brad also liked to cramp up. And no matter how much Gatorade he would drink, so here comes this knucklehead, Josh Bebas, into the game. And, you know, end up scoring the game winner. Well, those are really, and when it was all said and done, the only tick that I really got significant at quarterback, you know, outside of, you know, dish rag time and, you know, scoring that game winner was good for me. But, you know, with Everson, his ankle was, you know, 50-50. We didn't know what it was going into the MAC championship. So preparation, you know, we knew he was a game time decision, but he ate up the reps. Brad ate up all the reps. And there I am, you know, not really. I think, hell, I was still down on the scout team. And, you know, and, and signaling in and, and stuff like that. Well, that game that night going up against Brian Kelly, showing up, you know, talking about seeing the physicality, you know, Central Michigan did not look like a MAC team 
And little did we know they wouldn't play like a Mac team either. Brian Kelly schematically had them dialed in. And Dan Lefevre was an all-time Mac great quarterback. You know, he was a dual threat. I mean, I think he broke Vince Young's record or tied or did something but with, you know, the 3,001 count. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. he put up monster numbers, dude. He, he was dialed in. I mean, and to where he was accurate. He had, you talk about being on the zone. You need him on this show. Because that night he didn't miss it. I mean, he didn't miss a throw that wasn't contested because you, you talk about it. Mark Parson was really stepped up as a young guy at corner. You had uh, T.J. Wright, the other corner, who was just a, a, a scrapper that just put up solid production. You had uh, Todd Keenig and, and Mike Mitchell, you know, at back at safeties. And obviously, Mike, we know his career. Todd Keenig was just a leader. I mean, he's a SEAL now, Navy SEAL now. And Todd Keenig, I mean, ultimately, that guy, he was a stud, you know, and he had gone through a tough ankle sprain because earlier that year, what, was that the same year that, we played Julian Edelman, and we didn't know. That oh Julian yeah, was dude! Ju- Julian Edelman was so hard to tackle. My God, he was, and he and he did that to us. And unfortunately, Todd sprained his ankle that game. But you know, he to where that secondary, like you said, hey, they'd come up and smack you. They could guard you. Um, and you know, the reality is, with we were schemed up, and 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 Brian Kelly had a great plan. But Dan threw from a clean pocket all night. I mean, Dan really could stand tall, deliver the thread, and then. Like you said, when you got guys and athletes in the perimeter like that, I mean, he, he put them in some tough spots. And I remember, what, Mitchell get a, uh, an interception that night. That was about the only error that, um, you know, Lefevre made all night. Outside of that, he got him in the right place. You could just, the composure, and he was a freshman, you know, to come out and do that. Uh, you know, you knew that he was going to be, be, be a force. And, you know, Brian Kelly, um, you know, I keep mentioning that name. You know, he, he just saw the demeanor in their team. You know, they, they had that level of polish that you didn't see many times in the Mac. And, you know, that, that game was, you know, that was the Aaron Andrews game. I mean, I keep mentioning her because there she is and Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler. And you see these guys in the hotels. And, you know, that was an ESPN2 game. And it wasn't an ESPN2 buried on, you know, uh, a random Tuesday night. I mean, that was primetime television. I think it might have been a Thursday night game or something. Oh yeah. I was, I was so excited to tell my dad like, dad, I'm going to be at the game. Like watch, watch the game on ESPN, you know? Yeah. And it was, I mean, and, and, and for us to have that story, a Northern Illinois game from all that whole path that, you know, to be a part of that, you know, the, the comeback journey to beat Miami to you know, we'd never beat Miami, you know, during my time the year before we got blown out at home, you know, to the battle of the bricks, get your mug, to, you know, win the Mac, to go to the Mac championship, you know, and then to get called into duty, you know, the way that I did. And it's, it's funny because, you know, my buddies still rag on me about, you know, some of the things that, 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 that Herb Street said. But it was a, a night where, hey, I went in there with no reps. And really, you know, I was fresh off a kickoff game. I mean, so there you are. And I'll never forget, you know, the little cameras that zip over the, the field. I'm sitting there getting ready to call a play. And it wasn't like it was over the top loud. It wasn't. But to where I hear this... And it's the camera right above me. I'm the like, sky cam. What? Yeah, what is that? And then another time where I came off the sideline, and I hadn't even had time to warm up because it, it was cramped. And it was like, let's go, and, you know, TV, you know, get get going. And I hadn't even warmed up, and I think I went out there, and uh, it was a hitch. And Taylor Price was out there, and I'm like, man, I know I can run around Taylor. You had Cheetah Wacocha. He was a reliable, uh, you know, guy. And then you had, at that point in time, you had Scott Mail, who was, just, you know, the phenom, he was it physicality wise. And, um, you know, with Taylor, we ran a hitch and, and it got knocked down. I remember just saying, okay, hey, calm down. Got it. And we, you know, you get into your, you know, uh, get into the, the game where, okay, hey, I'm seeing the signals. I'm getting the play call. Some of the simple things that you haven't done when you've been riding the pine for two years. <laughs> you yeah. forget how perishable that skill is where I don't care how much spring ball you go to. I don't care how much the wear actually could do it because during the season, you know, you might get reps at the end of the, you know, end of the practice where we didn't have an indoor facility at the time. But by the time at that point in time of the year, it got cold to Peavey Stadium, especially when you're preparing for the MAG championship. And I'll tell you, by the time I got any reps, it was pretty much a handoff and let's get the hell out of here. It wasn't, you know, to where I couldn't even throw because I couldn't even feel my hands. And so we're getting back into the same scheme of things. Oh, here it is on national TV. You know, that's, that, that's not an excuse as much to say it's pretty funny to think, hey, I was just going to go out there and let it rip. And 
the second, you know, I play out there, Scott Mail, I see him and they're in a loose coverage. And I say, I don't care. This guy runs a four one. He, he high jumps out of this world, long jumps even further, you know, let's just let it ride. And uh, he got bumped off course and whatnot, but hell, I didn't even look off. I'm going there hell or high water. <laughs> that, that's just where we were at that night. That's that my point, guy. Yeah, let it rip. I just throw the bitch. I mean, it was just it, it, it was out of gun, but it, I just let it ride. And um, from there, you know, Brad came back from the cramps and whatnot. And you know, I think we we malingered on, and and you know, Dan with fever and that that momentum, we couldn't stop it. But it was a tough loss to take, and it was something again that I took very very personal, you know. But at the same time, that was a little bit different in the pit game because it was like, look, man, I haven't had a rep in ages you know the miami game i went in there and handed off on a, a speed sweep to chris garrett and went down through a you know trying to throw a block that, that sprung him a little bit and then you, you know you boot around for a one yarder that's not really getting significant snaps so you know if, if everson and bauer listening i you know i really appreciate the preparation the, the great example i got those two weeks to prepare because i didn't happen <laughs> and, and uh yeah it did. you know it's funny that you mentioned uh, you you played in the MAC championship game. I, I completely forgot about your reps in that game until you just mentioned it just now. to the flow theory podcast you can listen to our podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify and tune in